So, you want to get nuts? Come on! Let's get nuts. Okay, he wins. I yield my time. Thank you. Is there a bathroom around here? Because I really have to take a wiki lake. Yeah, it's over there in the corner. Yeah, but watch out for that dude, man, because he must be in here for something crazy. Takashi 69. Hey, Kakashi, you in here for something crazy? Nah, just robbery and gun stuff. It's stupid! Well, uh, hey, we might both regret this, but Takashi, do you need a lawyer? <laughs> See, prison's fun! <laughs> Welcome to the Saturday Night Live After Party. This week we'll be discussing Season 44, Episode 18 of SNL with host Emma Stone and musical guest BTS. I'm John Murray, and with me as always is comedy aficionado and all-around swell dude, Steve Finn. If you'd like to connect with either of us, you can do so at snlpodcast.com. If you're enjoying our show, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Our patrons get early, ad-free access to each new podcast episode, as well as many other exclusive member awards. It's your support that makes the cast possible, and we are so thankful to everyone who's already pitched in. To learn more, go to patreon.com forward slash SNL podcast. All right. Enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, Emma Stone. Well, Steve, it was my hope that we were going to be able to pull in Taylor Morgan, our resident young person to maybe offer some more youthful insights on BTS and uh, some of the the meta surrounding this week's show. But unfortunately, uh, she just messaged me to let me know that she's puking her guts out, and so that's not going to happen this morning, which means it is down to you and it is down to me to try and do justice to the Emma Stone episode. Are you up for the challenge? Yeah, I have a whole lot to say about BTS. <laughs> I don't think we need any... Uh... Any young people around? Yeah, no, no. She was going to be dead weight. You know, we are we, <laughs> we are definitely the the target demographic for what they were bringing. So our insights are going to be valid, and I'm sure very much appreciated by our younger audience members. No doubt. Yeah. So uh, I'm not really sure how this is going to go because yeah, I'm a little out of my depth in a few ways. But hey, <laughs> we're going to do our best, and uh, we'll see where we land. You ready to jump in? I am. Let's do it. All right. Cold open on MSNBC's lockup. Some notable inmates discuss their crimes. We get a cameo from Michael Keaton as Julian Assange. You know, I didn't think this was too bad. I did enjoy uh, Kate's impression. I enjoyed Pete's Avenatti, as, <laughs> uh, as always. I kind of like what he's done with the character. Uh, let's, uh, let's just cut to the chase here. The real meat and potatoes would be the Michael Keaton cameo. Right. And yeah, I thought, uh, I thought that was kind of fun. Uh, it certainly wasn't an accurate impression. He wasn't even going for an accent, but uh, I don't think that was the point at all. It's clearly, they were just going for the archetype of an angry Michael Keaton. Sure. Which worked in this scenario. Exactly. Yeah. No, they weren't trying to do justice to Julian Assange at all. They just thought, well, you know, let's take some of Michael Keaton's most famous lines, you know, that over the top intensity that he, he brings to his roles, uh, you know, and pull a few key quotes from, I think Batman is where, you know, you want to get crazy. Let's get crazy. Um, yeah. that, that kind of stuff is very much in the same vein as the meet the parents stuff. You know, it's not about whether it's an accurate Muller or not. It's about tying it into some pop culture reference that people are going to pick up on. And that's all they were doing here. For sure. Yeah. 
definitely following that vein. Yeah. So my hot take, this was passable. You know, I was having a little bit of fun with it. I thought it was a nice little turn when you bring in Aunt Becky and, you know, everybody's kind of fronting and trying to establish their prison cred, you know, and what she did is just head and shoulders above the level of crazy that anyone else can offer. That was a fun little way into that topic. So I, I thought that that was working. And then I felt, you know, maybe it, um, it petered out a little bit and got a little awkward there at the end, but overall I thought this just barely got over the finish line. So it, it is a thumbs up for me. Uh, I mean, yeah, the timing was good. We had a lot of high profile individuals right. getting into some trouble. So it was, it was a good time to, to play this kind of character. <laughs> yeah. It was definitely a good week to use this as the premise for the cold open. And I will always applaud them when they try to veer away a little bit from just our standard Trump fair. So yeah, uh, a couple weeks in a row that we've been able to switch up the cold open and I'm liking it. So I will uh, definitely count this as a win. Uh, let's take a look at our monologue. The cast give Emma Stone some thoughtful fourth timer gifts. I found this to be a good bit of fun. Mm-hmm. That's a, a very tried and true premise. The the kind of on the spot makeshift party and events <laughs> for someone who uh, you know was expecting it. Right. Uh, I, I love the way they went with it. They made Emma Stone very, uh, uh, I guess, very naive and and easy to fool, mm-hmm. which helped them along their way. And uh, it was a lot of fun. And and I think they had some pretty good ideas with where to go with it. My feeling was much like the cold open. This was fun. It had some moments, but a little awkward at times and didn't really ascend to any great heights. So again, I I think it got over the finish line. I feel like this is still in the good territory, but I don't think we've seen anything particularly exceptional yet tonight. I wasn't blown away by this, but I felt like it was competent and it was okay. So, you know, I just love the fact that, uh, she considered Kyle to be some (laughs) kind of hotshot special guest. Just another cast member. <laughs> yeah. yeah, she definitely went full on like fangirl mode, right? Like she she was really uh, embracing the the role of the, no matter what they bring to the table, she's going to be floored and amazed by it. Like that that was the funnest aspect to it. Uh, just didn't go anywhere super exceptional. And I was kind of surprised actually that for Melissa's part, again they they keep her kind of sequestered into those handful of impressions that we've seen too many times now like these are the same bits that she auditioned for the show with so i'm wondering like (laughs) why why we can't get past some of these impressions and have her bring out something fresh when we have uh, an inspired little opportunity for her to use her impression gags she could be coming out and doing a a different one every time yeah not even have to repeat herself she has such a wheelhouse well, th- that's what we assume, but they always keep going back to the same one. So it just makes me wonder if she's the kind of performer where she spends a long time trying to dial in on particular impressions. And once she's got them, she's got them, but she's not someone who just picks them up quickly. Uh, so that's just something that I was kind of scratching my head with. Like, why not let Melissa flex her muscles a little bit more? But maybe this is her call. Like, maybe these are just the ones that she wanted to go to because she knows she can deliver them in a pinch without too much thought and uh she just didn't want to maybe derail the cold open with a half-baked impression i I don't really know who knows who knows uh let's keep moving we get a live sketch a boy's posters come to life to help him with his history report this is our second run at chrissy the i don't know seductive maxim pg-13 poster that always has some uh suggestive props yes it was a a retread but uh you know it has not been wrung dry Mm -hmm. This is a pretty good structure 
to come back to and and find more humor in. And aside from all the obvious things we could talk about, there's there's a lot of little things I love about it, like the the knockoff rapper, the knockoff superheroes, <laughs> the knockoff wrestler. Like they're all recognizable, but uh, definitely no one that actually exists. Right. No trademarks were trampled in the making of this sketch. Yeah, but I love the accuracy of the parody. Mm-hmm. And yeah, aside from that, it's it was just a fun visualization of of the distractions an adolescent can have growing up, I sure. suppose. Yeah. Uh yeah, this was fine. I assume that we were going to see this again because this is kind of emerging as Emma Stone's current recurring role on the show. Yeah. She's kind of a product of the last era of SNL because she's been doing this since what around 2010 or so. So she had a lot of good material built up with previous casts, but they can't go back to some of that anymore. Like even like high school theater showcase seems like too many of those players have uh, left the show to revisit it at this point. So this, I guess is really all they have to go back to for the, the instant Emma stone recognition sketch to kick off the night. I was okay with it, but didn't feel like it was particularly memorable, right? Like they walked through all the beats. They did everything that the sketch is supposed to do, but there wasn't anything that, really wowed me in the writing here. So I I thought it was serviceable. It was fun. It is that goofy accessible material that they usually put up near the top, but I was actually hoping to maybe see something a little fresher. Like we've had those, uh, like the, the dog show and the nephew show, like we've had some really like quirky, weird stuff that's been making it to the top of the show occasionally. And so I thought with a host like this, maybe they were going to feel, uh, free to go into some some fun places and maybe that's just me having too high expectations but I would have liked to have seen something fresh personally but I totally understand why this came back and it was a serviceable outing so uh, we're good we're good <laughs> we are okay let's keep moving for our first pre-tape fashion coward the only store for people who hate shopping and feel lost and scared yeah this is the kind of observational humor that makes you question the fragility of of some of these writers (laughs) you know there's a lot of truth to this i'm sure for a lot of people Mm -hmm. uh and somehow you know it's it's a pretty deep slice and it it goes in dark places but i still have a a laugh with it yeah for me this i think is the first like unqualified win of the night i think we had three pieces in a row that all were just serviceable just got there but this is the first one that i think is really getting genuine laughs out of me that i'm thinking that's sharp that's well written that's a smart little you know visual gag to throw there in the middle like the knockout gas and then a big man will pick you up and shop for you kind of thing like that's (laughs) that's some inspired little moments that they were able to pepper in there so this one was good i really thought this was good um at this point starting to have a lot of fun with the show so uh you got anything else great you want to say about it or should we keep moving nope that's it All right, let's keep moving. We get a live sketch. The girls of the view square off over today's topics. Yeah, I thought that was a a pretty fun, subtle cat fight among six women. (laughs) Sure. Uh, I love the the fact that she's literally, you know, resorting to cat fight tactics to break up some things by squirting water. (laughs) Yeah, I do that with my uh, own cats at home. And I mean, it was kind of a an easy swipe to go for the the anti-vex uh opinions of some and you know it was a good fit for emma to play but uh with what they had you know there was a a lot of other directions that they could have gone with things that may be a little bit more relevant in in current times sure other than that i did have some fun with it okay uh yeah i thought this was pretty good i was impressed by leslie's uh whoopee impression really more than anything I, I think it really passed the squint test as they were kind of 
zooming in on the table for, you know, the establishing shot of the sketch, she could have passed for Whoopi <laughs> and she, yeah. she brought a little bit of gravel to her voice and a little bit of performance there. And you don't see a lot of that from Leslie Jones. So I, I felt like she was really dialed in on this and I, I want to applaud that, uh, since we know that she's not really one of the players that we have high expectations for character work from when she's doing the job, I, I think it's worth noting. So I like that. Like you said, it, it did have a few inspired little moments. It was kind of cool when, uh, Joy Bayer and the other chick are, uh, they're going at each other and it's escalating and they're getting more and more heated. And then like the lighting right. changes to like dramatic fight mode and yeah, Whoopi has to come and deescalate. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, so that stuff was fun overall. This was serviceable. Uh, I got a couple chuckles out of it, but nothing, nothing great. Uh, that said competent and, uh, well-delivered. So are you going to let me finish? Are you going to let me finish? <laughs> Do you actually have more to say or is this are you going to let me finish? <laughs> it's, it's your job to listen to me. Yes. All right, moving on. We get a pre-tape. Melissa Villasenor and Emma Stone rap about their hobbies. I thought this was all right. It wins some points in some areas. It loses some points in others. Mm -hmm. I think it might be a net win overall. Okay. Because I do love Melissa, and she was very much what was making this work. Sure. It's very cute, and it was very real world. You could tell that this came from uh, (laughs) real life examples. Uh, They're just too specific. and. it's a, it a little bit uh, of a overtread path, I think, to, to apply gangster rap to not so gangster uh, material. Okay. That makes sense. Would you qualify this as gangster rap, though? This didn't seem like hardcore to me. Well, I think they were going a bit harder than what their hobbies would, uh, would merit. <laughs> Any level of hip hop would be <laughs> uh, more extreme than Melissa's hobbies. Yeah. So that, that's fair. That's fair. I could be wrong about it being straight up gangster yeah. rap, but I think my point still stands. Yep. Yep. Anyway, that pretty much <laughs> wraps up my thoughts as well. Okay. Um, there was a lot of truth here. You can tell that this was some of the writers sitting around joking about really what makes them laugh about Melissa, all of her funny quirks and the things that she brings into work and the things that she does in her off time. And she's a, she's a personality more than anything. Like she, she really, is her own unique little duck in so yes. many ways. Um, if you follow her on social media or just try and keep tabs on what she's doing and try to see her out of character, you can tell that, yeah, this is all spot on. This is, this is what everyone at the show would be recognizing about Melissa. So I think it's cool that they tried to package that up and, and present that to the world so that everyone can kind of be as charmed as they are behind the scenes. I liked all that. I liked the feeling of this. It didn't go anywhere particularly spectacular, right? but it was fun because you and I both think, you know, Melissa's great in her own weird, unique way that is so odd to see on SNL. It's nice for them to find these opportunities to present Melissa as Melissa and kind of give everyone else an opportunity to kind of, you know, fall in love with her on her terms. Like this is just who I am. <laughs> um, yeah, there, there was something very charming in that respect. So this was good. I had a lot of fun with it. Yeah, me as well. Okay, let's keep moving. We get a live sketch An 80s music video is interrupted by a limited express employee. Now, a little bit of backgrounder on this. This is yet another in a long line of vintage music video spoofs that Cecily Strong and some of the writers have been championing. Um, This time they're goofing on Climax's 1984 song meeting in the ladies room and they pulled lyrics and music directly out of that. So it's not so much a spoof as more of a send up of it. But what's really kind of interesting is that SNL already spoofed 
climaxes meeting in the ladies room in a 2003 sketch when Holly Berry hosted. And what I thought was particularly amusing is that Keenan Thompson was in both sketches. So just to <laughs> underscore the longevity of that player and why it's going to be kind of so poignant if he leaves at the end of the season, uh, dude's been around. He, he, he was doing his job way back in 2003 under the Tina Fey regime of the show. So, uh, yeah, just a little bit of history. As far as this particular outing is concerned, though, what'd you think? I thought it was pretty accurate depiction of the aesthetic at the time. Sure, yeah. And, of course, the musical stylings of that era. Mm -hmm. Yeah, surprisingly so. Also, maybe some of the flawed mindset. Uh, (laughs) They touched on some of the subtle sexism these songs can have, which I found interesting. But once they had their fun with all that and basically just poking fun at the era... Uh, once Keenan came in, it took a whole other direction, and I've had just as much fun with that. So I thought this was an overall win. It wasn't my favorite sketch of the night, but it still was a pass for me. Yeah, sketches can be a lot of fun when they have a moment where everything drops back into reality. You get that jarring little moment where someone pulls you out of it. Uh, that's the role that Keenan was playing. There's a lot of sketches that pass through SNL that have that idea baked into them you know let's let's be immersed in the world and then we're going to point out all the stupidity of it by pulling you out and having an observer that is a more rational perspective on on what's going down (laughs) when we (laughs) when we find out that they're actually relieving themselves in the back room or whatever um so there was a lot to like here this was goofy this was fun like you said the the visuals were all very on fleek for the era if you do go back and watch the actual video you can tell that they aped the sets perfectly all the same kind of 80s tchotchkes on the walls and color palettes it's it's all there so high marks production wise they had some fun with it it is always fun when you do have one character that is the grounded character that puts a spotlight on the stupidity so yeah a lot to like here this was a, a good sketch and uh i continue to have fun with the show at this point so all's well all is well now oh boy moment of truth <laughs> let's take a look at our musical performances bts performs boy with love and mic drop what is your hot take on bts well i never heard of bts before so once i got over the initial surprise of who we had as a musical guest mm-hmm. uh, i was like okay let's see what these guys do and it seems like you know your s club sevens and your your one directions and your backstreet boys but uh maybe a little more advanced I felt there was like more uh, sophistication and uh, l- they were a little bit more technical in their, in their dance moves and their, and their choreography. Okay. Yeah. Not really my cup of tea music wise, but uh, I got to say that that was a really well put together performance. Okay. All right. You heard it here first. Steve Finn, high marks for BTS. He is a fan. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> sure. They earned it. I have so little to offer. There was nothing here that I could really connect with. Obviously, we're two grown-ass men. We're not seeking out K-pop. So um, I don't have any good background on BTS or whether there's anything like legitimately artistic or special about what they're doing or if they're just the latest manufactured pop garbage of the week. I really could not say, especially because you know they hail from a country and a culture that is far removed from us. So I have even less insights because of that. So all I can really say is I hear the kiddies like them and it seemed like the audience was going nuts. So they're doing something right and good on them. Hey gang, 
Did you know that our show is made possible solely by the support of listeners like you? It's true. And in order to keep our cast going for future seasons, we need to reach our funding goal of 100 Patreon supporters by the end of May. We've still got a ways to go and only one month left, so if you want to offer your support, now's the time to head over to patreon.com, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash SNL podcast. Come on board. If you do, you'll get exclusive patron-only perks and rewards, including our members-only podcast feed that provides early access to extended cuts of each new episode that contain upwards of 20 minutes of additional discussion. If you're enjoying our show and you want us to stick around for season 45, then please head over to patreon.com forward slash SNL podcast and show us some love. And before we jump back into the cast, I want to give a shout out to Betsy Johnson from Chicago, Illinois, who's one of our awesome featured player patrons. Betsy, thank you so much for your support. And now, back to the show. Okay, uh, let's take a look at Weekend Update. For their lead-in, Jost and Che discuss Trump's reaction to the arrest of Julian Assange. To some comedic success, uh, if I may say so. Mm -hmm. Thought it was really funny. And, uh, I mean, Trump does not make it too difficult for them to see uh, the irony (laughs) in what he says to make a joke out of. To the point where you just got to show clips of him contradicting himself to ridiculous degrees. Right. You know, I've I've followed him talk about WikiLeaks for a while, and for him to deny really knowing <laughs> anything about it is just absurd to me. And it's almost like your duty to to call call out something like that, right? Right. But you know, not only that, I wasn't just clapping along; I was laughing along. So I, I had fun with the opening for sure. Yep, this was all pretty good. They were very poised tonight. There wasn't anything particularly fumbly. There weren't any jokes that really, really misfired. I don't think they had the best possible audience for some of those jokes to go over particularly well, but that said, they still got them over. They, they pandered to the BTS fans a little bit to keep them engaged and it was all working. Um, and you're absolutely right. This thing that they're doing where they're just showing clips of Trump contradicting himself. That's comic gold. Because what's really hilarious is that nobody was asking him to distance himself from WikiLeaks. Like, it's not like he had to pretend like he doesn't know what WikiLeaks is. Nobody was expecting that there's some liability for Trump to be commenting on. It's just like he was arrogantly dismissive for dismissiveness sake. And like, it's like he's digging his own grave sometimes for no good reason. And that is just, that's a head scratcher. So when you see it kind of mashed together with these quick moving clips and it really underscores just the stupidity of sometimes how he <laughs> conducts himself at these press conferences. Um, yeah, yeah, that's fun. That's, that's sharp. That's the kind of critique that I think is appropriate for weekend updates. So this was working. I was having fun. Yes, indeed. what do we think of our first feature? 80, a seventh grade travel expert, Carrie Crum. Carrie's such a fun character. It's great to see her back. I just think she f- seems so well realized. Uh, you see a lot of characters done by comedians younger than Carrie and uh, maybe older than Carrie Mm -hmm. see a lot of little, little kids, a lot of teenagers, but seventh grade (laughs) and all the subtleties within that tiny little window of life. Yeah. Uh, 80 really hits them all. And I just love how big her little world is to her. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. You almost feel as excited as she does talking about these mundane things because of her, her, uh, naivete as a, as a seventh grader. Yeah. It's a great character. And I, I love to see her visit. Yeah. I thought this held up pretty good for our second outing. I don't really have anything to add. I think you pretty much said it all. It, it's a fun character and there's just something infinitely charming about eighties 
innocent, enthusiastic, just wide-eyed view of the world. She she maintains that wonder of youth into her tweenyhood, which is kind of where that tends to fall off and kids start to build up a little bit of cynicism, a little bit of, you know, real world <laughs> arrogance, I guess. But she's right. still kind of like just on the cusp of being a little girl. Uh, so yeah, all of these new things that she's experiencing are just so amazing. Uh, I love it. And I love just how she thinks Michael Che is just her BFF. Like she can confide all of these, uh, wonderful experiences that she's having in him. And you know, he could care less about any of it. It's just a a fun little dynamic that they have. So yeah, this works. I was happy to see it again. And I think we could probably have another outing or two of this. If uh, 80 sticks around for another season and I'd be happy to see it again. Yeah, me too. Very good. After that, we get Instagram couple, Nico Slobkin and Brie Bacardi back to offer their romantic picnic tips. What'd you make of our second outing of uh, this Heidi Gardner, Mikey Day duo? Uh, I guess it's like the second time you jump off the high dive and you feel that, that drop in your gut. <laughs> you anticipate that the second time. Sure. And that's how I felt seeing these guys again. I was like, oh no, I'm not ready for this roller coaster. <laughs> so it was kind of hard to get into laughing mode when I basically have some sort of mild form of PTSD from these guys. <laughs> sure. Yeah, you know it's only a matter of time before it starts to deteriorate and uh yeah, you're you're almost a little bit trepidatious to go down that path with them because they do kind of yeah, explode so gloriously. Yeah. But it's an observation, you know. Yeah. It's a real critique. Uh a lot of these couples you see on Instagram are literally just looking for these picture perfect moments to pose for mm-hmm. and it's definitely not a naturally occurring all roses and butterflies right, right. relationship. And uh, the fact that they just wanted to make them flat earthers this time around, (laughs) it put icing on the cake. Uh, Yeah. Terrible people can still look good on Instagram. That is the, uh, the lesson that you should take away from this. Their performances were good. It was as good as last time, not as surprising as the first time out, but I feel like it held together. I do think we're getting diminishing returns on it though. So uh, I would be surprised if we saw it back anytime soon, but. For what this one was, I, I thought it was still working. I had some fun with it. There was a, a few really decent laughs in there just because of how caustic they get and just how incapable they are of actually dealing with any kind of relationship drama in a mature, reasonable way that that still holds up and, and you can get some laughs out of it. So I was good with this. I thought it rounded out weekend update perfectly well. For sure. All right. Back half of the show. We get a live sketch. Prince Harry walks you through his baby shower. They uh, had some uh, fun with it. Same energy generally as last time. Mm-hmm. Gave it a bit of a facelift, added new jokes, and uh, yeah, it, it worked. Harry and Williams' chemistry is still there, loving it. And they use that same uh, rotating door thing again. Yeah, my favorite production gag. I, I will yeah. always give high marks to that. You know, they uh, they gave him ample time, I'm sure, but uh, it's impressive how many presents they filled up that room with. <laughs> yeah, you know, in the in the brief moment they stepped away. So yeah, overall it was it was a fun uh sketch and definitely covered some ground, literally and figuratively. Yep. This holds up. Kind of like Sully and Denise, you can walk through this a few times and still be amused. The characters have some life, they have some presence. So yeah, just checking in with our uh brash royal family is uh worth another outing. I do love that production gag. I love that they revisited it uh to good effect this time through and redressed the room with presents. That is always impressive. It's impressive to see in the studio, but once you know how it's done, you can still watch it from home and get a lot of enjoyment out of just how, uh, yeah, 
competent the the team is there and how quickly they can pull off some of those gags so i was having fun with this this was another good one if not some more retreaded material that we're starting to see a lot of in this show so uh that's that's really my only thought at this point is that this is all fun this is all amusing stuff but because we've revisited so much that we already know there's not a lot of excitement or a lot of surprises so far in the show so maybe uh that's something that we can turn around with our next pre-tape let's take a look at the actress an actress faces the greatest challenge of her career when she's cast as the wife in a gay porn we get a cameo from gay porn star Ty Mitchell. Well, thanks for letting us all know that. <laughs> no problem. This is a Julio Torres slash Bo and Yang outing, so they know of what they are writing. What'd you think? <laughs> that does make sense. Yeah. <laughs> I thought this was pretty astute mm-hmm. because this is definitely a, a type of person. You know, any struggling actor or actress, a lot of them may have... Uh, a very overinflated respect for the craft. Sure. Even in roles that don't deserve the kind of attention that they want to give every role. You know, mm-hmm. they, as they say, no part is too small. Yeah, seeing that in practice makes you question that uh, cliche. And this was uh, probably the most awkward example of that sure. that you could dream up. And it was executed very well. The direction was really great on this, yeah. uh, as well as the writing. Mm-hmm. And Beck just killed it, bringing it back to reality every time. Right. As the uh, disinterested director who understands that her role is so inconsequential that he's not going to give her any stage direction, (laughs) which inevitably leads to her needing to explore and realize the character for herself, which I think is inspired. I think that this is probably the smartest piece of the night. The one that I probably got the most laughs out of because as they probe deep into the mind of this actress and she's running through her process of discovering the character and you have almost this, a beautiful mind esque epiphany moment when she finally gets it and she takes all of the throwaway props that they leave for the women characters in these gay porn. And she actually builds an entire life story for the character. Um, that's all great. That, that is that quirky off the wall stuff that we missed from Julio Torres when he was on hiatus. So, uh, definitely nice to have him back in the mix, bringing this very specific, just very sharp and, uh, well-articulated type of material to the show. I was very happy to see this. I as well. Very good. And that brings us to our 10 to one, two reality stars pitch Chalmers reserve event wine, which is 72% alcohol, which I thought was a nice little prop detail that was on the bottle there on the table. Uh, what'd you make of this guy? I would say I enjoyed the sketch much more than I would enjoy the product they're trying to sell. Sure. It certainly does not sound like an appealing beverage, but the real humor here is, is the two reality stars, you know, being delusional enough to think that they have some kind of voice that's worth listening to in the, in the wine industry. Right. Yeah. I had some fun with it and it was a good way to close out the show. Yeah. Yeah. This was okay. I really don't have a whole lot to say about it. It was a fun little peek in on horrible people pitching a horrible product. So there was some fun to be had, uh, but nothing super remarkable or memorable. So uh, I was okay with it as a 10 to one. I, I thought it did have a few fun goofs in it. And I, I did like uh, Kyle and Emma as the Italians or the individuals who are under contractual obligation to pretend to be Italian for one year, whatever it was, there, there was some fun little bits that they were able to bring to it. Um, but yeah, nothing super remarkable here. So I don't know. This was okay. <laughs> That's all I got. Fair enough. All right. So uh, that is the rundown. Let's take a look at our moment of the night. What do you got? Hmm. I think my moment of the night 
is uh, when Keenan opens one of the booths in ladies' room. Okay. To discover the mess. <laughs> Just his outburst and his... Uh, his angered reaction to seeing it was just a great performance front to back. Sure. That's probably put the biggest smile on my face tonight. Okay. Yeah. I think we need to cherish every Keenan reacts moment that we get between now and the end of May. Cause uh, we're going to miss them when they're gone, but he can certainly sell a sketch like this with his uh, incredulous and incensed <laughs> persona. Indeed. Yeah. He's good. He's good. <laughs> what do you got? I'm giving it to the moment in the cold open when Kate is revealed to be Aunt Becky. I think that that was a really fun reveal that showed that the premise for this cold open had some legs, that this was kind of a, a smart way to frame all of the <laughs> uh, like white collar criminality that's been in the news over the last couple of weeks. So um, it just made me feel good that they found a fun underlying joke for the cold open. And that's what sometimes we're missing when it is the standard political fair. So that just was a good moment. It was a, a good way that they revealed it. It was very satisfying when you realize, oh, this is what the sketch is doing. It's going to take these inmates of note <laughs> and uh, point out, you know, how their credibility is at a totally different level. That's smart. So I liked it. So as a little moment to just make me feel like, okay, there is something good happening with this show already in the cold open. Uh, I'm going to hand it to that. Yes. She goes by brother Becky. now. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, best sketch. I'm going to say it's uh Emma Stone as the actress sure. diving deep into her craft to realize her character in the gay porn. Yep. Yeah, that was uh, melancholy and hilarious. So yeah, I got to go for that one. Yeah, uh, agreed. It was very well crafted. It was very smartly written. It was sharp. It had a tone to it. It just really sang. It, it really had a clear understanding of its characters and what it was trying to do with them. and. That's really good to be able to turn that around in a week. That is really, really good. And uh, I got to applaud Julio and Bowen for pulling that one together. I thought it was the most inspired material of the night. So I'm right there with you. Yeah, you bet. MVP. I want to give MVP to Emma. Okay. I think she really put her all into tonight. And uh, yeah, she outshined herself once again as, as a host. And I think uh, she deserves MVP. Okay. Fair enough. This was a surprisingly unremarkable episode. Like there just really wasn't a, a whole lot of stuff that you can really point out and say, oh, well, that's that's going to stand the test of time or that's that's a moment for the books or anything like that. There, there wasn't a whole lot of that. It was a lot of revisits on old sketch concepts and uh, just a lot of standard fare. So it's True. hard to pick out anyone that really shone. But I think you're right that Emma Stone is an obvious candidate because she did have the moments in that actress sketch obviously she did some great work and just because they're comfortable keeping her front and center she was the most uh memorable aspect of a lot of sketches even like the the opener there as the chrissy the whatever pg-13 maxim poster right so i think that's all fair i think that emma's probably the right call this week because there really wasn't a whole lot else to point to but i'm gonna give it to cecily just purely for screen time i just feel like she was ever present in the show and I know that she has a lot to do with championing those uh, vintage music video things that they've been doing a lot of. So I know that she was working hard. I know that she was doing some producing. I know she was doing some writing and uh, you see her throughout the episode doing good work. So just as that 
really competent, stabilizing character actor, utility player, whatever she needs to be. She's always doing the job and I rarely ever see her do anything that isn't on point. So, uh, yeah, I think it was a good showing for her. So if you're going to give it to Emma, which is probably the right decision as far as, uh, what Sean in the show, I'm going to give it to Cecily as the one backing her up throughout. All right. Yeah. That's a, that's a fair uh, triumph for her. Yeah. On a scale of classic, great, decent, weak, or train wreck. How would you rate this episode? You know, of the, Live sketches were up there with some of the pre-tapes we got. Mm-hmm. We would have been uh, in great territory. Yeah. So overall, I think we got a decent episode here. Yep. I think it's fair to say that, but I definitely saw some high marks that went beyond a, a decent at places. But across the board, since we can only have a one-size-fits-all rating, <laughs> I think uh, this works out to an average of decent. Yep. I agree. There wasn't. Anything that really bottomed out, everything was delivered very competently, but this was exceptionally unremarkable with the exception of the actress pre-tape, which I thought was top tier material. This was just very middle of the road from start to finish. Every sketch I got a few chuckles out of, but there was just nothing that had me on the floor. So, uh, yeah, right down the middle. Can't say anything bad about it, but really can't say a whole lot great about it. So it's decent. Right. That's all I got. You got anything else you want to add? No, I think we got it. Okay. That's a cast. Thanks as always to Steve Finn. And thanks to our most generous patrons, Sam Bowers, Aaron and Trader, Kalen Pope, and Neil Weinstein. If you're enjoying our show, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whichever app you prefer to listen on. Your subscription helps us grow, and your support is greatly appreciated. We'll be back in one week with Mike Bloom and Mario Lanza's review of SNL's April Run. But until then, this has been episode number 75 of the Saturday Night Live After Party Podcast. I'm John Murray. Good night, and have a pleasant tomorrow. Thank you to BTS. And to Lauren and the cast and crew, this is my favorite place in the world. Thank you so much. And please go to amaze.com slash girlpower. You'll see why. In a recent study, scientists created 3D scans of dolphin vaginas and found that a dolphin's clitoris is remarkably similar to a human woman's. Said the night janitor at SeaWorld, Well, I could have told you that. (laughs) 